This is The Business of Life with Jan Arden and Arlene Dickinson, a weekly podcast and radio show. Listen to The Business of Life on demand by subscribing and downloading it wherever you listen to podcasts. On this episode... I've had so many of our listeners, Jan, tell me how important that is to talk about the relationships we have with our families and with each other as friends and in general. I mean, parents are the, the, the most impactful, you know, human beings that we're going to have in our lives, for good or for bad. No one gets a, a handbook when they have kids. All coming up with Jan Arden and Arlene Dickinson. Jan Arden. This is me, and I'm speaking to you from Palm Springs, California. I'm uh, presently looking out at a pool. Um, my friend Cynthia Loist from The, uh, the Social is visiting here for a couple of days or two and I'm just taking in the sunshine. So, but I'm here working. I'm here because I care about our listeners and I care about you and I'm 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 excited to to uh, talk to you about whatever the hell you want to talk to me about. You know, sometimes you're so full of crap it's not funny. That was what? you being full of uh, Come on. You're so happy to talk to me. You're in Palm Springs. There's a pool waiting for you. You have like first and second of all, <laughs> I'm sitting in a recording studio in F and freezing Toronto with I'm a- so sorry. Listen, I spent uh, two weeks looking at pictures of you in Saint whatever it was, Saint Hello, Saint Heaven, Saint Heaven, Saint Kids. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but I didn't pretend that I wished I was here talking to you. I was like saying I was. It well, was really beautiful. Believe it or not, and God strike me dead, everybody. And I, I always look forward to talking to you, Arlene. So anyway. <laughs> I always look forward to talking to you too, Jen. How are you? Um, I'm really good. Good. I just was thinking about, um, well, you go ahead because I feel like you have an agenda already. <laughs> I always have an agenda. <laughs> I, <laughs> you just figured that out. I always have an agenda. Um, I want to talk to you today about people's eating habits. Oh my God, and, really? Oh, yeah, because you know what? The other day... I mean, I, this is going to sound so awful, but I have an aversion to somebody chewing with their mouth open. It drives me crazy. Like, I don't even know what to do. Like, I have a really good friend, and he constantly, he chews with his mouth open, and I just want to grab his mouth, like his jaw, and clam it shut because it drives me that crazy. Is I he think- single? He is single. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Maybe you rest your point. No, but, but I'm just saying he doesn't have anyone to tell him. No, he has but no I, one to tell him. But I, you know, like, what are you going to say to somebody? Let's let's go there. Like, what it, would you say to somebody? I'm sorry, you need to choose. I'd with say your mouth don't eat. With, yes, no, don't you would eat not. with your mouth. Yes, yes somebody I you know. Would. I mean, I know yes. him, but I'm not like. No, you uh-uh, would not. I would. Yes, I would. To somebody you rarely, barely know, you would say, "Shut your mouth." Yeah. Well, yeah, you probably would, but I, I can't do it. I can't do it. So, you know, chewing with your mouth open. or What about some, something or, like, you know, you're eating quite loud. You, you, do you realize how loud you're eating? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't, that stuff kind of bugs me. Yeah, well, you were doing that a minute ago on the mic. Okay, and actually- I, I'm wondering why this is why you brought this up, because <laughs> before we went on to air here, I had some non-dairy yogurt, which is quite good. It's made with almond milk. And I had some granola, which is loud. You, no one can eat granola quietly. You can, it can't be done. And blackberries. And I was trying to ingest it before we started. So, you know, one of our producers said that we, it sounded like I was an old gold miner, like panning for, 
But you could, is, your clinking of your spoon on the bowl was like, what are you looking for? You've eaten it all. There's nothing left. You're hitting the bowl. And I the, was trying to get out the last dredges, but I don't like clinking on bowls either. I don't like, but I do like the sound of a spoon hitting the inside of like a teacup if you're stirring in sugar. I love that sound. Yeah, that's a good sound actually because it's there's the something but the liquid in there. But so what? So my pet peeve is chewing with your mouth open. What's your pet peeve? I do, well, I mean, I don't feel like I have a lot of them, but the chewing with the mouth open is is a bit offensive, as is um, talking with a mouthful of food. Oh, yeah. Um, or the, my, my friend's dad, God love him, he's, he's passed away since, but he, I, I had dinner with my friend and her parents once, and her dad, we were eating ribs, and he he did this. He he took a bite of his ribs, which was so super cute because he enjoyed his food so much. It was kind of endearing in a way. But then he'd go, it that was weird to me. So every so he made an like a little sound every time, like or smacking of lips. Every single time it was, and he did not know he was doing it. Like there was nothing, no part of him that realized he was doing that. Yeah, the, I, and, eating's and, weird, and jaws clicking like that. That's something people can't help because their jaws click, right? But and it, so I feel even worse about that because eating with your mouth open, you can you cannot do, but your jaw clicking is something you can't stop. But when somebody's jaws jaw clicking, I don't even know what that is. Oh, have you not heard that? When you can actually no. hear the clicking of somebody's jaw <gasps> going up and down, and it's it's like a like a little lots well, a click. And, and it's, I think it has something to do with the jaw alignment. So again, it's not their fault. That is, that's something that I just, but it's more just that noise just as like, to me, like, um, it's just, it's just irritating and it's unfair because it's not anything they can fix, but eating with your mouth open, come on, like, and, oh, you know what else I really hate? I, oh now we're gosh. into eating. When you sit down at a table and there's food put down and literally they're putting the, they're putting the the plates on the table, the bowls of food on the table. They haven't even lifted their hands off of the bowl and somebody's already starting to dig in and eat before everybody else has even thought about eating. That also drives me crazy. Like, where's your manners? And have you noticed that if there is a, <laughs> if, if there are four pieces of steak on the table on a piece of, on a platter, I know you're mm-hmm. vegan, but let me just use steak as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the woman will always take the worst cut of meat. She always leaves the best cut of meat for the guys. Okay, why? Why is that? Like, what? What? Or, or for who are, the, who are you hanging out with? <laughs> really this weird is what people. I want to know. No, uh-huh. my the producers in the room are all going. Yes, they've all they, right. Caitlin, right? Caitlin, Adam, Chris. We we all have seen it. Especially women, they tend to leave the best portions, the best food, the best selection to the the men at the table. I mean, this is I think uh, they think this is just true, Jan. And then they and then they I'm eating right before the food's even on the table. And then the whole chewing with your mouth open. These are things that keep me up at night. Some people. Um, I don't know, which is even weirder. I, I mean, believe it or not, Arlene, there are some people that are not versed in any kind of dining etiquette. I think it's a lost art. I think these things, there's no excuse for people our age, but I, I absolutely will say that younger people um, 
they're not getting schooled in you always wait till everyone at your your table has a meal in front of them yes um, i've been at many many functions as have you been where there's a table of eight you're sitting in a round table of eight and they're doing a, a massive service of you know the salads or the entrees or something and you know, there'll always be the one person that's still waiting. And, and I've sat there sometimes, you know, five minutes waiting for that last person to get their plate. But everyone that you're sitting there usually knows. Like, I've never experienced being out with people that don't realize that. They just wait and nobody says anything, which is so nice. But younger people wouldn't know that. I don't think they're, I don't think it's important to them. I don't think their parents are taking the time to do that. And I also think that the family meal is something that's going the way of the buffalo. It is... You know, we had mealtimes, and even when my dad was a raging alcoholic, I remember him sitting there, you know, swaying back and forth and half falling asleep at the dinner table because that was something he was still kind of adhering to until he stopped showing up completely. But um, don't you remember that as a kid? Like, dinner was dinner. Like, my mom had a school bell that she rang. And, of course, we lived in rural Alberta, but you could hear that damn bell a mile away. And we all would run home because it's like dinner time. My dad had a whistle. He'd stand. See? He'd stand on the front porch and he'd whistle, and we could hear that whistle. You know, like you know, with using two fingers, right? And then he'd like it was loud and piercing, and you could hear. And I was always embarrassed by it. But now that now that you say that, and I think back to those days, and it was like you know, yeah, it was like Pavlovian. You knew that was the call home, right? You had to get uh, home. You had to. You reacted to the whether. Oh, well, you you were counting the prisoners, right? You're counting the inmates. <laughs> it's like one. He's accounted for. He's accounted for. He's accounted for. But uh, yeah, food, food, and 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 the the sort of the the celebration, the ritual of food is interesting to me, and how we eat. And I know, you know, I've I've read articles where, you know, how people eat, little things like that, eating with the mouth open, the way people chew, the way people brush their teeth. The it's the little things that end relationships. Like I just read an article like a week ago. And it was about how those small things manifest themselves. Um, a lot of times, people just can't get past it. They, it's not even their, their finances can be an absolute ruin. You know, losing their house, but God forbid they can't stand the way their husband brushes his teeth. Or, but, but when you when you when, when you're sorry to interrupt, but when you're starting to sour in a relationship, like. Which, you know, like you're just on the edge of your, you're starting to <laughs> dislike the person just a little bit and you're not quite sure. And then everything they do that was endearing to you before. Oh, I love the way he brushes his teeth. Oh, I love the way he, that little thing he does when he, you know, sits down, and checks the pleat in his pants or whatever he does. And now, and then you go, I I effing hate that. If he does that one more time, I am going to slap him. <laughs> like you go immediately, you go from endearing to that really irritates the heck out of me. Stop doing that. What is that? Well, it's always the things you find most endearing that you find most irritating. Well, I would encourage people to always get to know the person that you are going to presumably spend a great deal of your life with it might not be the rest of your life I think sometimes that's foolhardy to think that way I don't know if I'm built for the rest of my life kind of a person I mean I think my my habits and my relationships over the years have kind of proven that to me I mean am I am I looking forward to like another four five-year relationships or something like that I don't know I don't even know what that looks like anyhow back to my point 
It's so important. I don't know what people talk about living in sin or, you know, not moving in until you're married and all this bullshit crap. I, I think you need to get to know somebody because there could be so many things that they do that are completely weird and, you know, stepping out of pants and leaving them in the hallway and leaving a trail of clothes or not doing laundry or I don't know. There's just, there's, a, there's myriad things that could drive you crazy about a person. You have to get to know somebody. You, you do. You do. People just don't teach their kids. And I think a lot of parents don't even know what the etiquette is. So um, no. I think Arlene and I have both been at so many functions that, you know, I remember when I started, when I got my record deal and started doing all these dinners and reward shows and stuff, I kind of learned. I, I watched. I looked around me. You know, I was raised in the sticks. I'm not saying my parents were these heathens, but they didn't do fancy stuff. No. I didn't know what fork to use. I really didn't. Anyways, carry on. <laughs> Sorry. So, you know, it's funny. We were talking about how, you know, people get irritated and habits, you can pet, you have pet peeves. But at the same time, you know, when I talk to people that have been in relationships for a long, long period of time, you know, like 20, 30 years, they all tell me the same thing, that the secret has been to become less fussed by those pet peeves and less aware of them and to get through the downturns. In other words, they've all said, oh, we almost got divorced. We went through a period where we hated each other. We went through some time where we, we didn't talk and or we lived apart for a year and then we got back together, but we're so glad we stuck it out because now it's all evened out. Like the big fights are gone and the big, you know, the high of love is not the same and the, the low of the um, anger and depression of the relationship is not the same. And we're kind of just best friends and that seems to have worked. And they always have kind of made it through the pet peeve period or the period of unhappiness. And I, I, I really respect that. I mean, I always think, gee, I wish I could do that. But I guess at 62, the likelihood of me having a 40-year relationship is pretty nil to zero. <laughs> well, There's I might, no reason. but I won't remember it, right, Jan? Like, as we always yeah, laugh. You will. They're going to yeah. cure all that stuff. Yeah. They're, you're you're going to remember it. it. It's true, you know, I, but I think, once again, when you think about you know, my, my parents were together 58 years. My mom said, I should have left him. I should have left him in the 70s. And you kids were in school and you had the dog. And what would we, what, what would we, have, what would we have done with the dog if we'd gone into town? And um, she just stuck it out with him. But she said, I, I just couldn't stand him and I wanted to leave. And then, you know, the years went by and they were both different versions of themselves. They, they Their tempers were... When you get older. Different. Yeah. And and I think they were glad to have the companionship that they had. Uh, you know, my mom always said, I don't, you know, I'm glad I stuck it out. I'm, you know, he wasn't perfect, but I would have been dealing with the same stuff with, with somebody else. And I'm like, really? God, do you really think that? Like, do we just face the same obstacles and the same crap with anybody that we're with? And that always made my head want to like twist off and I wanted to roll it down like a bowling alley. Just the thought of no matter who you're with, you're going to be dealing with very similar issues. And I don't know if I believe that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't either. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a certain type of temperament it takes to be with somebody for a long time. And maybe it's a, a certain amount of, I'm certainly there's a sacrifice to putting your needs aside sometimes and in the effort to try and keep a relationship together. And that can be hard. I, I, I feel like 
I think our parents, our my mom and your mom and dad and my mom and dad, it was different generally, generationally. I mean, my mom worked out of the house because she had to work out of the house. There was not enough money to support the family. It wasn't because she was driven to have a career or she wanted to set the world on fire by doing something. She just she, had to do it. She had to do it. And that was very true for many women in the 50s and 60s. Um, th- that's, you know, th- that's why they entered had a lot of entry-level jobs because they weren't looking per se for careers. They were just looking to earn some extra income to be able to keep the family. Yeah, my mom always right? worked. My, right. my mom always worked. Right. But but eventually, what happened is you know women got empowered. I mean, we just passed International Women's Day, Jan, and now mm-hmm. the conversation has shifted because women have become, you know, I mean, we have found our we found our our the the, the ground underneath us. I think relative to our careers are now becoming important we're we're finding ourselves i and it's not to say that i say we're more selfish as a result of that but we are certainly more self-aware and we're certainly more willing to say wait a minute i have these things that i want to do with my life and and they and they include kind of everything they don't include just one thing and and so i believe that our parents our moms even though they were forced into working because financially we they required it um they paved the way for us to now have the careers and the opportunity that we have. And I, I can't wait to see, you know, I mean, 50 years from now, I imagine that, you know, this might be a very maternal versus paternal uh, environment that we live in because women's, women are gaining power in many ways. Now, I don't necessarily think that's right or wrong. What I do think is right is the equality of it all. Not that mm-hmm. one should be bigger than the other or better than the other or, or more power than the other, but I do think there should be equality. And we just celebrated that. So I'm grateful that our parents and that our moms worked the way they, they did and took the stance they did. And it's it's interesting. It's evolved. It sure has. I mean, my, my mom really was such an amazing role model. And she never thought of herself that way at all. I think she always thought she didn't do enough or didn't didn't become enough. I mean, I know there was a part of her that felt that way. She was a great homemaker, but I think professionally, she never felt like she, like she wanted to be an operating room nurse. I remember her telling me like that. I'm, I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, I wanted to be an operating room nurse. I just, I never, blood never bothered me. I would have loved to have done that. But the neat thing about my mom was that I never once saw her seek permission from my father. I never saw her I never had a conversation with my mom, you know, especially when she was looking for part-time jobs or going out to do things or to, taking a class. She never was like, well, I better talk to your dad. It was like, screw that. She, that, was, that just was not part of the deal that she had with him. I think he forfeited that with his illness. I think he forfeited that with how he kind of was disenfranchised somehow from our family, like many, many, many years um, previous to my mom working, my dad had already, he'd already gone off and done his own thing. So I was glad that she didn't wait around for something magical to change, you know, when, when your dad comes back to us or when he, not, not, I'm not saying that he left physically, but emotionally he was very gone from our family. Yeah. I love that mom didn't, she didn't ask, wait to ask for permission. She just went and did things. And that really left an impression on me is that I didn't have to ask anybody for permission in my life to pursue things, to do things. I didn't have to wait for someone to tell me that it was okay, that I, I just, 
my mom just showed me the way, and I'm so grateful for that. When you say that, Janet, makes me think about the times that I have had people say to me, you know, you've had this impact on me. I've I've been watching you, and I see you doing these things, and and I'm and I. I guess I always think to myself, gee, at that point in time, I wasn't aware that anybody was watching me do anything and that I would have an impact on anyone. And I I think the message in that for all of us is that you don't know who's watching you. You don't know who's paying attention to what you're doing to give themselves strength. They're gathering strength from watching how you behave and they're gathering abilities because they can see it in a role model. I mean, that whole idea that when you see it, you believe that you can become it is really true. And and so I think everybody can behave in a way. Your mom didn't know that she was demonstrating strength to you when she no, did that. No. She was just doing what she needed to do. But, yeah, but she, she was right. She was doing exactly what she needed to do to get by. Yeah. She had no idea that she was exercising uh, the type of feminism that we all aspire to. Which is self empowerment, and that she felt incredibly equal to anybody out there. Like there was nothing she wouldn't try to do. But you and know, I, and I love that. I, I do too. But I got to. I have to say something that I I really think isn't said enough. We talk a lot about you know um, our parents and the impact they have. My father had an enormous amount of impact on me. My father was the man who taught me that I could be anything as a woman. It was, I love that. It was him, and I'm envious. Right? And, and it, I'm envious. But, he, but we sometimes, we know we're, we're so busy saying men aren't doing those things. And I can tell you, if I, I would not be who I am today without my dad. Because mm-hmm. he didn't, he never told me to think about my feminist side. He, you know, like, oh, you can't do that because you're a girl. He would say, Arlene, you can do anything. The only thing stopping you is your belief in yourself. And, you know, he taught me this ability. He gave me the ability to believe that anything was possible if I believed in my ability to try. And so I, I owe my father an enormous debt of gratitude for being kind of the influence that made me see that I could do anything and be anything. And there are men out there who are helping their daughters, who are... Who are who oh, are, they're, who are, they're such right? good men. I, I probably should apologize because I think, you know, I think I... I, I speak about my dad in a way that, you know, he wasn't... He, my dad was very influential to me as well. Right. Just in, in very different ways. I mean, he was a, an, a, an fiercely hard worker. He was... He always provided for us. Um, you know, we never went without. He he brought money home. It's not like he was at a gambling track, gambling it all away. You know, he was very good that way, but he was very... He was extremely strict. He was hard on himself, obviously, um, but I, I, I do apologize, and I'm glad that you're bringing that up because I think it's important to to make sure you know people do realize how important fathers are. I yeah, I and don't I, think I, I know, and I'm but I'm still hard on my father, Arlene. I really am, yeah. and I you know when I hear you say that, I know that I speak of him in very dour, negative terms, and. Uh, it reminds me that I have a lot of crap to get over. I've got a lot of things to get to get past with him, and obviously I'm far from being forgiving. He's been dead for three years. And I just don't think it's difficult for me to think good things about him. In fact, <clears throat> the more time that is going by, I really think about how absent he was and what a jerk he was. 
And I don't, maybe people can help me figure out how to get past that because I don't know. I hear about you talking about your dad and it makes me, makes my heart ache because I didn't have that. Yeah, but you know, I don't, A, I don't think you should apologize. I think we all have to just remember that our parents did the best job they could. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, whether it's your dad or my mom and, or your mom or my dad or however, or whoever we want to talk about in terms of influential, influential elders in our life, they did the best job they could with what they had. And, you know, we all, like, we, we allow ourselves to feel weak. We allow ourselves to forgive ourselves for things that we know we're not the best at. But yet we struggle to forgive our parents for being human. And for, for not, you know, not being able to be perfect. Well, they're not perfect. And your dad, Jen, did the very best he could. He had an addiction problem. And he did the very best he could with that. And as you said, he provided for you. He did many things right. And I don't find you churlish or, or mean to him in any respect. I find you incredibly honest and aware and I, I have, I, I mean, I mean, I just love you, so. Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know what I did before I knew you, but it's obviously, we have such a serendipitous, I think, relationship. And I think we both, one thing I really appreciate is you'll always tell me the way it is. You're not going to pat me on the back and go, oh, great, great, great. If I'm out of line or if I do something, you know, I've gotten a few calls from you in my life. Um, one, when I got really quite sick gosh it's got to be seven eight nine years ago and you phoned me in my hotel room I had had a heart thing and I've probably spoken about this before but you were just like you read me the riot act you're like I will be so goddamn mad at you if you take that job you've got to cancel you got to cancel all the work that you have over the next two months you've got to cancel everything and I was like and you were very adamant you were like, I don't, I don't want to see you doing these jobs. You've got to can I'm sorry, you've just got to cancel it. And I appreciated that so much. Like, you're not one of those people that's going to say to me, oh, everything you do is just so great and so nice. You're one of the few people in my life that will actually look me in the eye and go, you're being an a-hole. You are absolutely <laughs> out of line. But, I, but you, I know that, and you know that I would do the same thing for you. Yeah, you do. And you it's do. very hard in the types of jobs that we do to find you know, one or God forbid, two people that will tell you exactly what's going on out there. I can, I can, thanks for saying that, Jen. I mean, that means a lot to me. Like, I, I, I want to just give uh, something back to you in that. There's times that I will send you emails because I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated that the podcast time got changed or I'm frustrated <laughs> that a contract's not signed or, you know, whatever the thing is that I'm... Fr and you always put it in perspective for me. You always just say, oh, Arlene, it's going to be fine. It'll work itself out. And don't sweat it. And meanwhile, I'm like, I've worked myself up and I'm, I'm, I'm cranky about it and I'm not happy with how I've reacted. And, you know, Caitlin's being privy to this, you know, where I've... I've <laughs> She's at the other end of my emails where I'm in a hurry and I say things quickly and sometimes not as kindly as I intend them to be. And um, and both of you have reacted. I got to say, I got credit to Caitlin as well. Both of you react to me in a good way. You 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 don't you don't escalate it. 
you help me understand that things are going to be okay. Just take a deep breath. It's it's not the end of the world. And usually I'm not all panicked about it. Anyhow, I've just I've just kind of expressed myself in a frustration. But you always bring me back. You always make me realize, ah, it's okay. Like this is good. This too shall pass. This isn't the end of the world. So I I think uh, I think we both have a great leveling effect on each other, which I really I'm really grateful for. And I think our ability to talk about our parents. I've had so many of our listeners, Jan, tell me how important that is to talk about the relationships we have with our families and with each other as friends and in general. Well, I mean, parents are the, the, the most impactful, you know, human beings that we're going to have in our lives, for good or for bad. Like, there's no, no one gets a, a handbook when they have kids. Like my my friend's daughter just had a baby, and I and I remember when her daughter was so little, she we were bathing her in a little sink, and and I can't believe I I, I said to my friend, my God, you're a grandmother, and now she's going to be you know guiding this kid along, but there's no handbook. She's just like I'm so freaked out. Her daughter was telling me, it's like we're just we just sit up at night and we stare at her in her crib like that we made this so that she's alive, and our parents did the same thing. Um, she said something really interesting to me. Uh, her daughter did, my friend's daughter. She said, now I realize how much mom loved me. <laughs> and that Great just, line. It, yeah, it just made me realize how much, and I'll never have kids. I mean, you've got, what, nine, ten kids? How many kids do you have? <laughs> well, four that, I, four that I support and probably another 12 that I don't. Know, don't. No, I have four. <laughs> I know. So, okay, haha. 12 kids but I have but I'll never have kids I mean I, and I feel bad about that in a way I do I mean I'm going to be 57 next month and I feel bad that I didn't have kids maybe for selfish reasons like what would they have looked like what would they have done um, I don't know and who's going to look after me? Who's going to pull the hairs on my chin? I no, no, you. No, I was. Yeah, you had me I got, until soon, <laughs> hairs chin. I, I, there was a great uh, there was a great episode of um, um, the uh, the Baroness Van Sketch show that did that, where some girl was in labor in the hospital or something. I don't know if she was in labor or lying in bed, and her friend came in. She said, "I'm her emergency contact," and he, she came in to, to pull a hair out of her chin. <laughs> at the hospital and she wouldn't want to have a hair in her chin at the hospital I'll tell you what I, I used to get pregnant the minute my husband took his pants off like honestly I what would get, I, is I, going I, on I know I would like the opposite I was like I was I first of all I had six pregnancies in seven years I had two miscarriages I was oh, pregnant I literally every year for seven years and I was constantly I was I was a balloon for seven years. Basically, I was gigantic. I gained so much weight. But but, but you but, but you wanted to be right. You wanted to be pregnant. I was Mormon. I was supposed to be pregnant. Like I know, but I mean, was, but did did you have any choice a, it in the matter? A it was a recommend. It was a requirement to be a a good a good LDS person. You had to have children. <laughs> Like I, can't, I mean, I don't know. you. So you had you stayed in that relationship, Arlene, you could have had like eleven children. No, I couldn't have. I uh, I couldn't have. Not not. Uh, you know, after I listen, I love my children so very much. But um, I I was. If not- I didn't get pregnant in the eighties, there's no. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Because you were sleeping I with said, everybody. Okay, well, you can put it that way if you'd like to. 
I'm just that's what friends. I do. was trying to figure out life. I was trying to figure out life. It wasn't and, down but there, I, Chad. Life was not down there. <laughs> down where? Stop it! <laughs> Is that life between my legs? Oh, oh that's life. my <laughs> gosh! Okay, but you know, I mean, I. If you people are like, I have no regrets in life. I don't regret anything. I'm, I, I say them. that. I'm like, don't say it in that voice. I say that all the time. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to say it in the Marilyn Monroe voice because that is what it sounds like in my head to me. I have so many regrets. I have a lot of regrets. I have no, you don't. hundreds those of regrets. I do something. so. No, you do not. Those things taught you. Those things make you oh, who you God. are today. The things you did, the lessons you learned, the, the life you've lived made you who you are today so how can you regret anything how can well, you regret something that formed you it formed your i opinion. don't know but it, it for- is it formed your opinions it formed your behavior mm-hmm. it formed your your ethics and your values it formed your 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 it, it centered well i you. wouldn't do it again okay that's different that's not regret that's just learning that's just i made a mistake i learned from it i i grew from it that's different than regret well, I will work on my semantics this year of between regret and learning. To me, regret and learning are two very different things. But I understand that you have to go through what you go through to become who you're going to become. I understand all that. I still, I mean, the word regret, I, I still, I do regret things, Arlene. I wish I could just sit back and go, oh, I did learn and I became the person I am today, but I did a lot of goddamn stupid things in the meantime. I hurt a lot of people. I disappointed people. I disappointed myself. I mean, thank God my parents live long enough to see me turn into a somewhat relatively decent human being because... Uh, you know, I, I think I put them through the paces for sure. But they gave you the opportunity to to find yourself. I mean, I I, I hope we have time. I'm going to tell you a quick story about my dad. Something he did um, when I was when I was a teenager, very young teenager. Probably I was about I'm going to say 13 or 14 years old. Me and my cousin slipped out to. We lived right across from an elementary school. We slipped out behind the school one evening, and we um, had a cigarette. And we had a, a drink out of a small one of those little, probably wild turkey or something like that, or what it was. Oh, and, and 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 uh, my my dad had asked where we were going when we left, and we said, "Oh no, we're just going for a walk." And my dad was very very smart, so we're behind the school doing this, and a policeman comes up to us with a flashlight. And he says, and he catches us, and he says, "What are you girls doing?" And we, "Oh, nothing." And he says, oh, "I can see what you're doing. You're smoking and you're drinking. What's your name? What's your address?" <laughs> So they takes down our name. He takes down our address. Oh. I am, honestly, Jan, I, I think I might as well never go home because my dad is going to oh. kill me because this policeman says he's going to go home and tell my dad, right? You're going to be murdered. Yeah. And we live literally across the street. So I get home. My dad doesn't say anything. I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do? So now I'm even more anxious because I think any day the policeman's going to knock on the door to tell my dad. Next morning, my dad, <laughs> a couple days morning, mornings later, my dad says to me, hey, Arlene, he said, um, how was your night the other night? And I said, oh, it was it was good. And I look at him and I said, it was fine. He said, did, what did you and Gail do? And I said, oh, nothing, nothing. And I look at him, he goes, nothing. And I said, yeah, no, nothing. And he says, you know, Arlene, you know what I really want you to understand? He says, is I trust you. And he says, I trust you're always going to be honest with me. And I trust you're always going to make the right choices. And I trust your decisions. And I just want you to always remember that I trust you. Now, walks away. 
few weeks go by, no policeman shows up at the door, talking to my neighbor whose boyfriend is a policeman. And he, my dad had gone next door, got him to put on his uniform, got him to go across there, had no. him scare the bejesus out of us, and never said a word to me about it ever. If she hadn't told me, if my neighbor hadn't told me, I never would have known. And all I'll remember is my dad telling me he trusts me and thinking that forever I could not betray that trust. Right? How smart I... was he? How smart was he? But you never told him. No, God, I wouldn't want him to think he got the better of me. Like I'm still, <laughs> but he did, and he was smart, and he taught me a lesson that I'll never forget. Trust, trust. You don't need. To I didn't, know, but he never told me that story. He never told me what he did. It was my neighbor who told me. I can't believe he didn't bring it up like nope. three years later. Nope. And say, remember when that police officer? Nope. He, wow. That he he was it's a very a lot of smart discipline. man. He was an educator. He was he knew how to teach a lesson. I don't know how I got into that. How did I get into that? No, it is. It's it's that parenting one hundred and one. It's it's how. What's what you know, your parents did to you? you? They let you how? learn. They let you make mistakes. They let you. But it, but even even with, do you feel like you were a different parent for each of your children? I mean, let me just po- pose this question to you. So you have the first one, you have no idea what you're doing. Then the second one comes, like you said, you were pregnant for six or seven years, dealing with very small children in a very quick succession. But do you feel like you were a different version of yourself for each of these children? Because when I talk to my brothers, I have one older, one younger, it's like we were parented by completely different units of parents, like a completely different, like there was some similarities, but what my little brother got away with from what my older brother got away with, how we were parented, how we were disciplined. I mean, there was no, there was really no, nothing that was the same. And I'm just wondering if you felt that way with your kids, like if you parented differently. Well, you think to yourself, how do I have four such different children when I'm the same person? But the fact is you're not the same person. With every year you are changing as an, as an adult and as a parent. So even though you think everybody had the same experience, they really didn't have the exact same experience. I mean, the first kid, you're scared to, you're scared if they, you know, fall on the floor, they're going to hurt themselves drastically. And the, the last one, they're dragging the kid around like a, like a doll. You know, like, you're like, oh, she's okay. You know? she, nothing's happened to her yet. They caught her by the one leg. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's not, on a, she's not high up or anything. So you, 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 you do, I think... You do learn, A, that they're not as fragile and as you think they are, um, and that they, what they require most is love and attention versus hovering and uh, protection of every single thing that they ever want to do and try. Like, you need to let them try things. Um, but I think you are changed. You're changed as a parent. You know, I, I, the person, when I had my last child at 27, I was different than I had my first child at 20. I was seven years older. I had seven years more experience. I had seven years of all those kids from 20 to 27. I know. Like, it's just mind boggling to me. This is a little bit of a different, uh, but I I really want your opinion before we wrap things up. Andy Cohen, Mm -hmm. who is... He, he's he's well known on the Bravo station. He does the the Real Housewives series. He does the, you know the the when he sits around and talks to them after hours with the housewives. I don't I don't even know what it's called. You know who Andy Cohen is, right? Yep. From yep. the Bravo station. Yep. Okay, he's fifty. Is he a gay man? Yeah. He's yeah he's fifty years old, gay man, just uh, adopted a newborn. Oh son. wow. 
Good for him. And I'm just wondering, and, and the only reason I'm asking this is nothing to do with him being gay, nothing to do with being, I'm just thinking, 50 years old, adopting a human being, which is what made me think of this. I, what, uh, what do you think? I don't even know what to think. There are, well, first of all, there are, there are stories of people older than 50 that have adopted children. And I guess if you have the energy for it and you can help adopt a child who needs a family, then oh, I say all the power to you. I mean, I think it's a lot of work. I think it's, it's going to have unexpected consequences in terms of, you know, the commitment and the time for you personally, because you may not anticipate it. But I say, you know what, there's a lot of kids out there without parents. And if you want to be a parent to take on somebody and adopt them, and you probably can afford a nanny and a help, then go for it. Do it. Andy's not I think broke. so too. He'll get help. What no, do you think? that's what I thought too. Uh, There's the same thing I brought up. I thought he's just got the means. I'm thinking that's a lucky little boy. Yeah. You know he'll he'll. I know. I mean, Andy will be friggin' seven years old by the time the kid goes to college. But I guess you know he's going to be locked and loaded, and the the kid will have a good life and be provided for. And I mean, Lord knows where he would have ended up otherwise. Yeah. So I just I just had this conversation with some friends of mine a couple nights ago, just about the whole thing and and you know being that age and taking on a, a newborn and you know the late nights and everything but it says so much about him I've settled down like my life has settled down I'm I'm ready for this but it just blows my mind of how long it takes some of us to become responsible calm collected human beings so at 50 he's basically saying I get it and I, now I'm ready to do this it's just like I wish we lived to be 150 years old. It's just so. I wish we could live that long too, because then we could keep talking. But for now, we can't keep talking. Oh. So, oh, so we got to say goodbye. Well, that went by fast. It did, but I love talking okay. to you, even from Palm Springs. Hey, I've enjoyed this very much. I've been talking to you from the hot tub this whole time. I'm so glad I hope, we I hope had you, this I hope time you, <laughs> together. Just to have a laugh and sing a song seems we just get started. And, and before, before you know it, <laughs> comes the time we have to say so, so long. long. So long, Arlene. So long, Jan. Talk, to, Talk your to your friends. Thank you for listening to The Business of Life with Jan Arden and Arlene Dickinson, a weekly podcast and radio show. Subscribe and download The Business of Life wherever you listen to podcasts.